In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Tokenet Radio, Toki Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. What if, with the right mindset, anything is possible? Join us now and find out how. It's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka is here to inspire you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Today, Marla is here to inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power with the Million Dollar Mindset. Today, she'll share heartwarming stories, teach you tips and tricks to building a successful business, plus how to unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset, part of the Her Insight Network on Toginet. And now, here's your host, Marla Tabaka. Welcome to the Million Dollar Mindset Monday, everybody. I look so forward to Mondays now. Well, I always did. I think Mondays and Fridays are my very, very favorite days. And, you know, I just love being here. And I love the great people that I I get to meet. And as that music was going and I was thinking about the Million Dollar Mindset, I was thinking, gosh, when did I really start you know, developing this system and this process and this way of thinking. And I remembered back that when I was a little girl, my one of my big sisters, Barbara, used to call me Pollyanna because she said that I always had a way of, of interpreting things that was very positive, no matter how bad things really looked. And, and I was never really sure if I should accept the, the name Pollyanna as a compliment. But, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm really okay with it because I truly do, do believe in my heart of hearts that, you know, there is some good that comes out of everything. And our guest today is somebody who has really demonstrated that, I think, through, throughout her life. Uh, she's going to share her remarkable story of triumph over self-defeating behaviors. She's going to share with us the very same principles she used to go from homeless to making minimum wage and eventually to her current position as an internationally known speaker, award-winning trainer, and award-winning author of An Invisible Prison. This is truly a million-dollar mindset story that we can all learn from and be inspired by. And I welcome today Susan Armstrong. How are you, Susan? I'm good, thank you, Marla. How are you today? I'm really good. I'm better now. I just love being here. <laughs> yeah, me and too. I'm so, yeah, I'm so glad that you're with us. So, Susan, I thought that it would be great if we, if you don't mind, um, and I, I know you do this a lot, and we were just discussing before the show that you've been on the road so much, um, but I'm going to ask you to once again share your, share your story because it sure sounds like a really powerful one. Well, I'd, I'd be happy to. You know, it's, um, I think it's important that I do share my story. I don't know about Pollyanna in my first 31 years, but, boy, you could sure call me Pollyanna today, uh, and I think with, with good reason. You know, I, um, I, I have one of those stories that really should be a movie of the week, I think. I always call it every parent's worst nightmare, that if there, there was anything that you didn't want your kids to get into, I probably got into it um, starting at age 11. 
And, you know, I, I mean, I had a normal enough life. I came from a fabulous family, middle class. You can imagine, I actually, we actually had a white picket fence when I was growing Whoa. up around our house. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, absolute, you know, fabulous parents who, uh, who loved me. I have a younger sister. We had the white picket fence, everything you could imagine. And yet it seemingly wasn't good enough. Uh, for me. And, and in fact, the problem was that I didn't feel good enough for it. You know, I think um, I was pretty young when I, I got the message that uh, nothing I did was ever going to be good enough. So my mother was a perfectionist, which is something that I also suffer from and have been recovering from for years. And I know a lot of other women suffer from this as well. And what would happen was it didn't matter if I got myself dressed, she would redress me I made my bed, she would remake the bed, and I don't actually remember a time that I didn't feel like I didn't fit in. So I didn't feel that I didn't fit in, I didn't feel that I was good enough. I remember um, being taught that in order for people to like you, you have to be perfect. And if you can't be perfect, then people won't like you, you know, the police will come and arrest you. I also remember being taught that there was only one sin and that was that uh, the biggest, greatest sin was to hurt somebody else's feelings and that you should never, ever, 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 for any reason, hurt anyone else's feelings ever. Oh, and wow. so you can imagine I was a child and, you know, trying to be all things to all people all the time, trying to be perfect all the time, trying to, um, you know, do everything I could to get people to like me. And... I was smart. I was a smart child. So it seemed like I could never win. You know, even at school, if the teacher asked a question, I knew the answer. And if I put my hand up, then the kids would always get mad at me because I knew all the answers and I was the teacher's favorite. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't put my hand up, then the teacher would get mad at me because she knew I knew the answers. And what an exhausting existence as a child. And, And I remember just feeling that I had to walk on eggshells. You know, I just was always walking on eggshells. Like at any time, with any step, something horrible was going to happen. The world was going to come crashing down or something just devastating was going to happen. I actually suffered from adult migraine headaches by the time I was seven years old. And oh. it was in the, yeah, I know. Imagine a seven-year-old. And in the 60s, oh. they didn't have the medication. So all they could wow. give me was adult medication. And every day I would go home from throwing up all the way home, you know, and so again, oh. yeah, again, I didn't fit in. Yeah, and how, how did your mother, who was the perfectionist, um, embrace that? My, like I said, I came from a good family, and I, I certainly don't, you know, my mother yeah. um, has, knows this now, obviously, she's yeah. read my book, but I think it's devastated at the thought that this is how I interpreted her actions. What I know now is that her perfectionism and people-pleasing was her stuff, not mine. But as a child, you don't yeah. know that. You just want to make your parents happy. Right. And she, yeah. they were devastated. They had me at every doctor you can imagine. I mean, I was stuck with pins and needles and had probes attached to me trying to figure out, you know, where these mm-hmm. headaches came from. Of course, in hindsight, it's, uh, it's kind of a no-brainer. You know, the stress I was carrying as a child is what was causing them. So finally, I got to, uh, I got to about 11 years old, and uh, I was in a, a special class by that time for gifted children. They had come around and done intelligence testing, and they had started an experimental class. 
And I was in this class, and of course we were about 28 kids in the middle of a regular school, so, you know, there's more support for my not fitting in and feeling different. And uh, my friend, who was also 11, but was very well developed, she was about 5 foot 8 at 11 years old and wore full makeup, one day she went into the beer store and uh, got some beer after school, and we sat behind a strip mall smoking cigarettes, and she drank about a half of her first beer and threw up, and I drank the other Mm -hmm. five. And that is pretty much, you know, I could stop my story right there in terms of what happened because that alcohol took away instantly all of those feelings of being different, of not fitting in, of not feeling good enough, of, you know, never being able to do anything right. All that, I call that eggshell feeling of walking on eggshells, that beer took that feeling away immediately. And from that time forward... I just wanted more of the same. I wanted more of that feeling, and that meant more alcohol to numb that right. that pain that I was carrying with me. And so oh. I was 11. And when you want that when you're 11 years old, my parents didn't really drink. My father could buy a case of beer at Christmas and still be there in July. So it right. wasn't like it was commonplace at, at home. And there is only one place to get it when you're 11 years old, and that's out on the street. And so it didn't take me very long before I graduated from alcohol to drugs and then, you know, was hanging out with criminals and street gangs. And eventually, I think I was about 16, maybe 15, 16, I graduated to drinking in bars and hanging out with motorcycle gangs. And that was really the beginning of the end, if you will. Right, right. Wow, what a story. And I know, obviously, you have done so much work and, and come so far. Susan, is it still painful for you to talk about this story today? It, you know, when I wrote my book, An Invisible mm-hmm. Prison, it actually took me about five years to write the book mm-hmm. because it gave me nightmares. You know, oh. that when I graduated to the, to the bars and the motorcycle gangs, it went rapidly downhill from there. And, and actually, you said at, at the beginning of the show that, you know, everything happens for a reason. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I have to say that the place I was in when, in my late teens and early 20s, I was working in bars and I would get drunk every night or high or whatever and, you know, pass out and then wake up the next morning and go to work. I could conceivably have lived the rest of my life like that. But sure. instead, I met a guy. Don't we all, right? I met a boy. Yeah. And yeah. And to me it was it was kismet. You know, it it was truly at the time I can laugh about it now, but at the time when I was twenty or twenty one, divine intervention. You know, he was born in the same town in England that I was born in. They emigrated to North America the same year I did. He was born six days before me with the same astrological sign. I mean, oh my gosh, did I need any more proof? <laughs> and it was um It was like meeting myself is the only way I could describe it. He was me, only male. We thought the same. We had the same. We were raised the same. We had the same kind of, you know, morals and upbringing. Uh, He was incredibly intelligent. We just had so much in common. It was unbelievable. And by the time the abuse started, about three months into our relationship, it was already too late for me. And I was already... Yeah, I couldn't have left because to leave him would have meant there yes. was something wrong with him, which would have meant there was something wrong with me. Right. And right. so I spent, I think, about nine years as property of a motorcycle gang. Being, I've been shot, stabbed, 
beaten to within an inch of my life, left on the side of the road for dead. I spent years being told what to wear, you know, what color my hair should be, what to eat, when to eat, where to work, how much money I had to make. Every minute of my day was structured oh, by them. I have what? been, and that's why I say if there's anything that's happened to anybody, it's likely happened to it's me. I've never been sexually abused by a family member, but that's about the extent of it. You know, everything else is... Wow. What yeah. A, wow. I I can't wait to hear. We're going to go into break in a few seconds, and I absolutely can't wait to hear what what the the wake up call, if you will, was, or the transition, the change, and and the tools you use. So we'll be back with Susan Armstrong in a moment. Unlocking the secrets in you to create a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marlon Tabaka. And we'll be right back after these. Girlfriend It is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriend at Principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. What's your story? Are you living it? Well, you could be. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Her passion is helping others discover, create, and live their personal brands. Yep, you heard me. You have a brand. No different than Coke, Pepsi, or Nike. You are a walking, talking, living, breathing brand. You're not a logo. You're not a tagline. The choices you make become the path you take. This is your brand. Now, live your story. Your brand is not just what you say it is. It's also what others say it is. So what are you communicating? And how can you create an authentic brand? We'll take on these challenges with What's Your Story? Every week, Hillary will feature teens, moms, and organizations that are learning and living their story. Now, her passion is to help others discover, create, and live their personal brands. To find out more, go to inspiredbyfamily.com. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Mindset. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it all starts with attitude, and Marla is here to help. It's the Million Dollar Mindset, part of the Her Inside Network on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Marla Tabaka. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Marla Tabaka, your host, and our guest today is an internationally known speaker, award-winning trainer and author, and I can go on and on and on, award-winning Susan Armstrong. And if you missed the first segment and you're just tuning in now, please make sure to download the podcast later because you 
you will, you've missed a, an incredible story um, that will just make the rest of the show even even more meaningful. Um, Susan, welcome back. Thank you. Hey, Susan, tell us where we can find you. What's your website information? A divinearchitecture.com. I'll say it again, a divinearchitecture.com. Awesome. Thank you. And Susan, you have a book appropriately named An Invisible Prison. Is that available through your website as well? It absolutely is. And uh, also on the website, you can sign up for the newsletter and uh, get the announcements for upcoming events where I actually teach people the principles that I'm going to be talking a little bit about today with you. Good. Beautiful. Okay. So you've shared that story and and obviously, you know, to overcome a, a lifetime, to live the per- first part of your life the way that you did, you have found some amazing, amazing skills and tools and whatnot. So why don't you go ahead and start telling us how in the world you transitioned from that to where you are today? Yes, well, and that's actually why I do what I do today, you know, and, and amazing skills. I thank you so much for saying that. But I don't believe it. I have anything unique or different that anyone else doesn't have. And actually, this is why I do this. You know, I had a choice. When I managed to escape the gang, my life actually got worse, and I didn't have them trying to kill me anymore. So I just decided to try and do it to myself. And I spent years, two years, trying to destroy myself and commit suicide only to have it not work. And when I had that turning point of realizing that if I continued the path I was on, I was going to die, but if I didn't go down that path, I would likely die because I didn't know there was anything else out there. It was an enormous turning point for me. And, you know, this is what makes my story different than a lot of people's. You find a lot of people who have been through what I have, but they've stayed stuck there. Mm-hmm. And I haven't. And that's the difference. And what's caused me to come out and, and talk about it, you asked me earlier if it was painful. It is because I have to go back and relive it. But I think it's important as well because, you know, I had a choice. I could have stayed where I was, but I didn't. And when I started to learn about life, when I started to recover, what I realized was that I was actually lucky. That for me, it's easy. You know, I I was going to lose my life. I was going to die in a gutter somewhere. It's that simple. And yet there are all these other people walking around out there trapped in unhappy relationships, trapped in jobs they were miserable at, trapped in in their life, you know, not being happy and not knowing anything was wrong and not knowing how to get out of it. And that's, and I got so tired of people because I didn't tell anybody this story for years. I kept it hidden. And I would say to people, you know, if, if you're so unhappy in your job, if you're so unhappy in your life, if you're so unhappy in your relationships, mm-hmm. why don't you change it? And they would look at me and say, oh, no, you don't understand. And, of course, in my head I'm thinking, oh, I so understand. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, it's just that I had never, no one to look at me would have ever guessed that I had had that kind of a history. And so that's why I decided I needed to come out and start talking about it. Because, you know, ultimately, we all have these skills. We all have the skills that we need to make the changes. In our, and we do live a life of our own creation. I always say, and my experience highlights this brilliantly, that children learn what they live, and then they live what they learn. So mm-hmm. I learned that you had to be perfect in order for people to like you. I learned that you should never hurt another human being's feelings. 
So I spent years living those premises, trying to be perfect, not, you know, being good enough, jumping through fiery hoops, twisting myself into knots, doing things that in a million years I would never have thought that I would ever do, just to get love and approval and acceptance. And, I, you know, I look around and I see how many people do that very same thing today, certainly not to the devastating depths that I did, but how many people do that same thing? So when I started to, when I started my recovery, the one thing that I realized very first off was I had to realize how much of my past I was actually living currently in the present and projecting onto the future. So, you know, I believe from the time I could remember that I wasn't good enough, that I didn't fit in, that I wasn't good enough. And what happened, and this happens as human beings, it's human nature, is that every single experience, every single day, everything that happened to me, I looked for proof that that was true. And, of course, if we look for proof, we're always going to find it. And what I realized was that this perfectionism and this people-pleasing that I definitely suffered from, that I, you know, got from my mother, was my mother's stuff. And that if my mother was a perfectionist and a people-pleaser, for whatever reason, that this wasn't an appropriate way to go through life, it was wrong. Likely, what I had learned about myself was wrong, too. Likely, what I had learned about interacting with people, about engaging in life, was wrong, too. And I always say... You know, I had no self-esteem. I had no coping skills. I basically didn't know how to function healthily. And that was my quest. I decided that I needed to learn how to do this. And in order to do that, I went back to the beginning. And I recognized that what I knew wasn't correct, and I needed to relearn everything I knew, starting with my opinion of me and my thoughts about myself. And, you know, people always say, well, you know, I don't have the money. or I, And <laughs> I always say, yeah, well, I got where I am thanks to a book. You wow. know, I couldn't afford, yeah. Well, imagine, I've just spent 20 years living on the street. I'm working in a ladies' clothing store, making at the time about $5 an hour. I didn't have the money for therapy or, and I was too deathly afraid of people, of them finding out what had happened to me. So there's no way I was going to counseling. I tried to join a group for abused women, and, um, you know, they, the stories that I heard were nothing like what had happened to me. So I didn't want to go because I thought that, again, I wouldn't fit in or I'd be ostracized. So I bought a book, and I read the book, and I started to, to really understand what I had read, was reading, and apply it to my own life. And I think that this is something that we can all do, and it's the one thing I tell people, how, what kind of a hold does the past have on your present? So in other words, what are the, the, the thoughts that you live by about yourself? I'm not good enough. Why? You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not skinny enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I can't make enough money. I don't have the skills. I don't have, you know, whatever it is. What are the thoughts that we live with about ourselves and where did they come from? Because when I listed everything I thought about myself and I believed that I was low life, didn't deserve to even be on this planet, when I started to list those thoughts that I had about myself and think, well, where did they come from? I actually traced it back. I could trace it all the way back to my earliest memories. And, you know, I always say my sister was born on my second birthday. So, you know, if I put myself back there and I think about it, I remember 
being two years old. That's how much of a trauma it was for me. And thinking that I was being replaced, you know, that I wasn't good enough. Yeah. And so this being imprinted on my subconscious, from that time forward, of course, I'm just looking for proof that I'm not good enough. And whenever we do that, we're going to find it. Not to mention the self-fulfilling prophecies we can create. Absolutely. It is. It is amazing how we can find proof one way or the other if we decide to have that million-dollar mindset and find positive proof of something positive, we'll find it. If we decide to be negative, we'll find it there too. Exactly. Uh And that is one of the biggest strategies that I used in getting here from there was that I forced myself every single day to, at the end of the day, I would sit down quietly and I would think back over my day. And you know how uh, normally we think back and we replay conversations or we replay things that have happened and we say, oh, I wish I hadn't said this. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. And we Mm -hmm. rehash them. You know how we do that? Well, Mm -hmm. I flipped it around and at night before I went to bed, I would sit quietly and I would go back through my day and I would think about conversations and what had happened and I forced myself to find three things that I did right. You know, oh, three things nice. that I did well. And sometimes it was really, they were really silly things. Like, um, you know, I had a difficult situation at work and I didn't get angry or I didn't walk away or I stayed with it or I kept smiling. Sometimes it was really silly things. You know, I, I, remember, I, I, I remember for several days thinking I did a really good job of being an adult today. And that was one of the things that I did well. But I found over time that I was able to, to start to switch my thinking and instead of finding always proof of why I didn't fit in, why there was something wrong with me, why, why I was a low life, I could start to find proof of yeah. why I was a good person, why I had friends, why I had, you know, what certain skills that I had. And so then I added one more strategy onto that, and it was intimidating as heck. But I did it because I was determined that I was going to, you know, be a real person, that I, I was going to have a real life. And I started to ask people, that I trusted for their opinion of me. So I went to some people that I worked with, and I said, you know, what do you like about me? What am I good at? Because what I knew was that everything I thought about myself was negative. I didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a self-esteem exercise. List 10 reasons why someone would want to be your friend. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I didn't have any reason. So I went to people I trusted, and I asked them, what are three things that you like about me? What are three good qualities I have? You know, what are three things you admire about me? And then I forced myself to believe them. And then I would, I added to my find proof that, of things that I did well throughout the day. Then I would take one thing that somebody said, um, I remember once somebody said that I was generous. And I didn't understand mm-hmm. that at all. So I thought, well, never mind what I think, because I know what I think is wrong, that I need to see it through their eyes. And so I would go through my day consciously looking for places where I was generous. So I would find proof of what other people told me about me. And slowly over time, I started to to gain, to develop some self-esteem. It really started to turn things around for me. Wow, what a process for you to develop at, it really, was. you were still quite young at the time, too. Well, and, uh, no, I was, it was, I was 20 years on the street, so I was 31, so. Okay, all right, yeah. 31. All right, still, amazing process. We're going off into break, and we'll be back in just a couple minutes with Susan Armstrong.
unlocking the secrets in you to create a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marlon Tabaka. And we'll be right back after these. Join Learning and Laughter with Louise every Wednesday at 9 Eastern, 8 a.m. Central on Toginet to discuss fun, fascinating, and educational topics. Each week, Louise will be talking with a variety of guests, ranging from authors, educators, parents, filmmakers, athletes, and entrepreneurs, just to name a few. You know, when it comes to learning, the sky is the limit. And so will the topics that are covered here on Learning and Laughter with Louise. Louise Sattler is a school psychologist who has worked within the fields of special education and bilingual education. She also owns a successful company, Signing Families that creates DVDs and special workshops to teach sign language and instructional products for people of all ages and needs. With new DVDs coming out soon, check her website for more information at signingfamilies.com. From time to time, Louise will be joined by her daughter, Natasha Sattler, who will give a college-age perspective to the show. So pour that morning cup of coffee and join us here on Toginet every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Central. You never know who will show up for Learning and Laughter with Louise on toginet.com. Let's chat it up with Bloom Talk with Barb Scala on Toginet. Thursday afternoons at 3 Eastern, 2 Central. And find out how women are growing, blossoming, and blooming in their friendships and careers, health, and so much more. It's Bloom Talk with Barb Scala. Check out our website, bloomwithbarb.com. Whether you want to transplant your life or just do a little pruning, Bloom Talk will inspire you to cultivate the lifestyle you want to live. Join lifestyle coach and co-author of Sanity Savers, Barb Scala, each week on Bloom Talk and sprout your dreams. Grow your life. I hear a lot from women. I want meaning in my life. I want a fulfilling life. I want to do something that's exciting. and I can control my life instead of my life controlling me. I can tell the world this is who I am and, and this is what I'm all about. Barb will introduce you to dynamic guests and real women who are redesigning, re building and reinventing their own lives and bloomstorm how you can dream create and grow the lifestyle you want to live it's bloom talk with barb scala thursday afternoons at three eastern two central on toginet.com welcome back to the million dollar mindset if you're ready for a big change in your work your career your happiness your life it all starts with attitude and marla is here to help it's the million dollar mindset part of the her insight network on toginet.com and now, back to your host, Marlon Tabaka. Welcome back, and thanks for being with us today. We're here with Susan Armstrong, and Susan was just kind of highlighting uh, the processes that she used to really gain some self-esteem and value and self-worth and transition herself from homelessness to minimum wage to the successful, wonderful, inspirational person she is today. Welcome back, Susan. Thank you. I love your list. I love your list and, and the questions that you ask. And, um, you know, it takes me back to a time when, when I was kind of just feeling down and out. And a friend, a couple of friends sat me down and said, you make a list of 100 of your wonderful qualities, 100. And like you, I couldn't get very far. And so they tortured me by, <laughs> by sitting there with me and telling me what a hundred of my most wonderful qualities were. And I can't even tell you, that was just such a, a turning point for me, you yeah. know, because like you said, what we believe about ourselves, if it's based in negative past experiences and, and what we teach ourselves and others teach us, you know, it's not always right. And, okay. uh, yeah, it's just so powerful the way you you went through this. So, um, so you have this list, and and you you know had 
people list their opinion or give you their opinions of you and you sat down every day and you wrote down three things that you had done right instead of berating yourself for everything you did wrong that day. What came next? Um, there were there were a number of different things that I did. Like I said, I had no coping skills. So this was about what I said was developing the self-esteem. Then I had another issue I had to deal with, that I had no coping skills. So basically, mm. um, you know, I'd gone through my entire life that if I was happy, I drank. If I was sad, I drank. If I broke a fingernail, I drank. I didn't know how to, how to cope. And I knew that this was another thing that I needed to, to deal with, that I wasn't processing emotions properly. Mm-hmm. And so I found somebody that I wanted to be like. I found somebody. And I, and I know these sound like they're very simple strategies, but these take a lot of courage to do. <sighs> And, you. you know, so there's something to be said here about being, about recognizing the fear and not being crippled or paralyzed by the fear, that you, you have to want this bad enough to be willing to do this anyway. And if you want it bad enough to do it, it will absolutely work. I found a woman at work that I just so totally admired, you know, the way I admired her emotional stability, the way she was able to deal with setbacks, the way she handled Happiness, I remember um, her boyfriend broke up with her, and I just marveled at the way she was able to process this and manage this and work. I mean, that would have just sent me into trying to commit suicide, and yet mm. she, you know, she still came to work. And so I decided that I wanted to be like her, and I never told her this. I think to this day she, she doesn't know, but I watched and I listened. You know, and I paid very close attention to how she did things. And I would ask her questions. I would say, you know, um, you just got yelled at by the boss. You know, how are you feeling? Well, what do you say? You know, and I would, I would ask her questions, and I would listen when she talked, and I would model that behavior. And I started to learn through having these role models how to process emotions properly, if you will, or effectively mm-hmm. so that they weren't damaging me. So that was absolutely an enormous help for me to do that. And I still do that today, by the way. I still always find somebody that I want to be like. It was the key to my recovery. I found someone who was a recovered alcoholic that I wanted to be like, and I learned how to dress and do girly things by watching her and speaking with her. I learned how to manage emotions through this lady at work that I watched, and I still do these things today. I still find somebody that I want to be like, and I very carefully watch and listen and take the good parts of that and apply them to my own life. But I was about four years and nine months sober. So you just know this is a big thing coming, if I can tell you how many months I was sober as well. Yeah. And my father passed away. Oh, no. Yeah, and it was very quick. It was nine days from the time he was diagnosed until he died. And he was my hero. He had actually been the one that had rescued me from the gang. He had sent me an airline ticket, and uh, he had let me live with him. You know, when I came back home, and he was he was my hero, and he died. Oh, and uh, I remember driving home from the hospital, and I remember thinking, okay, my dad's dead, so I guess there's no point anymore. Mm-hmm. I just might as well take my own life. And thankfully, the thought right after that one was, no, that's not how you honor your father. And then I started to realize, that everything I had done in my life up until that point, including getting sober, had been for my father to make him proud. And I had this huge epiphany of how I had been trying to stuff myself into my parents' idea of what my life should look like. 
because I, like I said, I came from a middle-class family. I was raised to be a really good secretary, which now would be an administrative assistant, and this is what I was raised to do. That's not who mm-hmm. I was. Mm-hmm. And I realized when my father passed away, the irony that I had everything I had done was to make them proud, and I tried wow. to stuff myself into their idea of what my life should look like. And now that my dad wasn't around anymore, it was like, I don't know how to describe it other than to say I felt free for the very first time. And so I decided to make a list of all of my God-given talents, the ones I came to this planet with, not the ones I had acquired, the ones Mm -hmm. I came to this planet with. Who was I and what was I really good at? And I made a list of all of those qualities, and I went in search of a job that fit me. Instead of trying to fit myself into a job or a career, I found one. I wanted to find one or create one that fit who I was. And that's oh, actually how and I what ended was up that? Speaking. Yeah, well, that's how I ended up doing the training and speaking. Ah, because, okay. Yeah, what I realized was I had a God-given talent that I can connect with people. I didn't understand it, Marla. I didn't understand it at the time. I, didn't, I thought, well, that's stupid. You know, who can make a living out of connecting with you? You can't make a living <laughs> from connecting with people. Yeah, out of doing something you love, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, I, I just knew this was a talent. I knew I loved people. I was good with people. I was good at connecting with people. And I decided that I needed to do some research and I needed to explore and I needed to find something that fit who I was. And, you know, as soon as I, uh, I I'm just getting that sign that, you know, this is a, a very uh, powerful piece for people. But as soon as I realized, as soon as I accepted who I was, what I was good at, what my talents were, and made up my mind that I was going to find something in line with who I was, things actually fell in line. So you want to talk about the law of attraction. This is the law of alignment, doing who I am. You know, what do you do for a living? I do me. Yeah, do I am me. who I am. And, I, and that was really the enormous turning point for me. Stepping in line with what I should be doing and who I was was an enormous turning point. And my growth just accelerated rapidly from that because I was really doing what I was put here to do. And so did, was your first experience then with training um, a job or did you become an entrepreneur right away? Well, no, and here's, here's, the, uh, here's the whole universal laws in action, really, and the power of the universe, and why my website is called A Divine Architecture. Uh, I, I'm not going to completely diminish myself and say I had nothing to do with this. I did. I have a lot of courage mm-hmm. only because I have an enormous amount of fear and, you know, walked through this fear. So I did this, but not by myself. And here's the universe and how it comes into play and why I, I run around teaching people about this, because I just feel it's so important. And it's possible for everybody, by the way, because I'm not special. Um, but I, in, in knowing this, I thought, okay, I'm not going to work in the ladies' clothing store anymore. It's not what I'm good at. And I had had a dream when I was very young that I wanted to be, I wanted to be a professional and I wanted to work in a glass office building. So I looked for a job <laughs> that would allow me to use my talents of interacting with people and talking with people and helping people. And I ended up getting this job. And the very first day I was there, the manager came to me and said, oh, my gosh, we need someone to do customer service training. Can you do customer service training? And instead of buying into my fear and my feeling that I wasn't good enough and I didn't know what I was doing, instead of saying no, I said yes. 
Oh, and I went and wow. I did the customer service Courage. training, and I walked out of that room that day, and I thought, wow, I was good at that, and it yeah. was fun, and I liked it, and they liked it. And the universe has put opportunities in front of me every single day ever mm. since. I love that law of alignment, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> oh, and it's so Susan. true. It's so that the, the, oh, I don't even know the right word, if it's an irony or what, but, you know, that strikes me is, you know, you turn to drugs and, and alcohol beginning at the age of 11. And I think that oftentimes people look at people who are di- addicted to drink and alcohol and they think, oh, weakness, weakness, weakness. Mm-hmm. But the more I talk to people like yourself, the more I realize there's such incredible, unique, beautiful strength there um, that, you know, gets a chance to shine through and just takes a while before it gets that chance. But it does. What courage. What an amazing story. Wow. Wow. And so now, for the past 14 years or so, you have been working with global organizations to improve what they do in business um, and, and you also do, do you do one-to-one coaching as well? Or? I do, and I do uh, also um, seminars, three days in length for individuals as well, where I teach these principles. There's more to it than what we're able to talk about in 60 minutes, certainly. But there's an enormous overriding uh, theory that I discovered, you know, a few years ago and just believe this to be true and still operates in my life. I mean, you know, I still recognize it every day, and it operates in all of our lives. And that... That's the great irony of being human. You talk about being addicted. The things that we do thinking we're protecting ourselves mm. are actually the things that get in our way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I, w- I went to the street. I became a member of gangs. I drank and did drugs because I was protecting myself against those feelings of not being good enough, of not fitting in, of not being loved, of being rejected. It was my way of protecting myself from those mm-hmm. things. And yet, look at what that created. You know, and we do this to ourselves, the things that, and I, I mean, you know, I, we all do it. I still, I still catch myself doing it now. The things I think I'm doing to protect myself are the things that are getting in my way of success and happiness. It's amazing. Mm, they very, they, it is amazing. It is amazing. And how these stories that, you know, so many of us have, um, really end up being a source of strength and inspiration when we go on to helping others like you do yeah. today. And we're going to go into another break. We'll be back with Susan Armstrong in just a few minutes. Unlocking the secrets in you to create a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marlon Tabaka. And we'll be right back after these. Another Way of Living with Susan Dobson is on Toginet. Wednesday evenings at 8, 7 Central. Hi, I'm Susan Dobson, host of the new talk show, Another Way of Living. On Another Way of Living, we talk about what I call the unspeakable. When I was growing up, if there was a problem, a pink elephant in the living room, everybody walked around it, nobody talked about it. Sound familiar? Tune in and listen to my guests and callers talk about their solutions to problems just like yours. If you are ready and really want another way of living, then this is your show. 
Wednesday evenings at 8, 7 Central with Susan Dobson. On Another Way of Living, we talk about life, its problems, its challenges, and above all, its solutions. Another Way of Living educates and informs. It makes you laugh. It makes you cry. Plus, the live format lends itself to surprising and heartfelt revelations from Susan and her guests. You'll be surprised by what's shared, what's learned, and what could change. Join us for Another Way of Living with Susan Dobson. Wednesday evenings at 8, 7 Central on toginet.com. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Mindset. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it all starts with attitude, and Marla is here to help. It's the Million Dollar Mindset, part of the Her Insight Network on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Marla Tabaka. And we've been learning a lot here from our guest today, Susan Armstrong, who's the author of Invisible Prison, a true story of survival and uh, Susan, I see on, on your website, a divinearchitecture.com. Um, I love the way that you put this, that, um, you know, the success of happiness lies, uh, the de- definition of success rather lies within us, but, and so do the abilities and the knowledge and everything we need to achieve that success, but we're not always happy. And that's because we can lock ourselves inside of this invisible prison. And, and here's what I love, the way you put this. Um, the invisible prison of, is of our own creation, self-limiting right. beliefs, thoughts, ideas, and actions that guide our decisions and our lives and keep us stuck in this place of unhappiness. How well put. And uh, I, too, work with people in that position every single day. And don't we all continue to work through that? Um, I think that's something that's really important for people to realize that even once you've reached a certain level, you know, there's always more you're striving for and we can still fall back on these limiting beliefs that keep us trapped, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and this is the whole thing. Everybody has a story. You know, we were yeah. saying before break about the story. Everybody has a story. Not necessarily like mine, but we all have a story and the feelings right. are all the same and we have a choice. You can either let your story hold you back, you can wallow in it and use mm-hmm. it as an excuse to stay unhappy and miserable and, you know, stuck in, in your job or in your relationship or in your life, or you can use it to propel you forward, you know, and that's our choice. That's our choice. I would, and that's the workshops that I do, the name of the book. I help people dismantle those bars of the invisible prison that they built mm-hmm. to keep themselves in. To say that I'm completely free of mine, I mean, wouldn't be doing anybody any favors. I have come an enormous way. But I still have those days where I fall into, you know, why do I bother? And then I remember and I snap myself out of it. And, mm-hmm. and that's the, the key. It's our choice. 
it's our choice. You know, nobody can do it for us except us, and we have to know that we have everything that we need, and it's our choice in a moment. You know, we can choose to start our day over anytime we like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. You're right, and it is our choice. We can choose to feel bad or we can choose to feel good. That's exactly Yep, the circumstances around us are not permanent and never have to be permanent because we do have the power to choose and change. That's it. No matter Sometimes, what. though, I think it's a, it's a comfort uh, yes. level. And I, I remember when I escaped the gang, I remember being on an airplane, and I was crying, not mm-hmm. because I was happy to be leaving the gang, mm-hmm. because I was afraid, I was sad, because, yes, I was getting beaten, Yes, horrible things were happening. Yes, I was being horribly abused, but it was safe. It yes. was the life I knew, and I could predict. If I did this, this mm-hmm. would happen. If I said this, this yep. would happen, and it was safe. And mm-hmm. while I was leaving to go to freedom, leaving to go to people who loved me, leaving to go to a whole new life, I was terrified. It would have been much easier for me to stay and get abused and let them kill me because that's what everybody expected to happen. It would have been much easier for me to do that. And I think that that holds a lot of us back, that safety. It might be horrible, but at least Mm -hmm. we are used to it. We know what to expect. It's it's that comfort zone, which is so ironically named, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I I work with people... you know, we all we all have worry to some degree. We all have the negative beliefs. Sometimes when that gets so grand and it's been a part of you your whole life, you know, I find clients are reluctant to let that way of thinking go because yeah. they don't know who they'd be without it. That's right. That's yeah. Right. And so I love your process because it is, it's one step at a time and it's yeah. not an expectation of, overnight change. So Susan, who, um, who is the ideal candidate to attend one of your powerful workshops? Uh, anyone who knows, who's ready for a change, anybody who is ready to shift their life into the next gear, anybody who is ready to finally take that next step and leave that relationship, start that new job, to start their own business, to really step up to the next level in life. Anyone is a candidate, men and women, by the way. I have a lot of men that come to me and speak with me. It's not just women. We're not the only ones that suffer with this. It shows up a little bit differently in men than it does in women. But anybody who says, who knows that they're not happy, there's something more for them, there's something holding them back, and they need help identifying that and developing the action steps. I do action, obviously. That's my yeah. area of expertise yeah. is action. <laughs> So in my coaching, I, I find from time to time people come into coaching, they believe they're ready, and they don't take the action steps. How do I know if I'm ready to come to one of your workshops and really make the best out of the information? What are the signs? Um, again, it, this, is the, you know, this is the thing about change, and this is the thing about human beings, about us. When the pain of what's currently happening outweighs the benefit of what we get from it, then mm-hmm. it's time for a change. So in other words, um, in recovery, they call it the bottom. You can call it the tipping point, whatever you want. But whatever we do, we get a payoff from that. So there's a benefit. So my staying with an abusive uh, partner, I get, to fe- I get to feel loved. I get to feel, you know, important. I get to feel mm-hmm. special. 
But when the pain of the abuse, so when the broken bones, when I almost lose my life because he tries to kill me, when that outweighs the benefit that I'm getting from feeling loved, it's time for me to go. Mm-hmm. So when the pain outweighs the benefit that we're getting, we know it's time for a shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In sales, we would call it a Ben Franklin close. So right. make a list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Make a list. And the payoff has to be big enough and something that you've decided you really want. That's right. And a new life. And right. um, so, again, if if someone were interested in attending one of your workshops, um, where geographically do you usually hold these? I am holding one in the fall in Phoenix and okay. uh, as well in the fall in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Ah. And again, if they want to go onto the website and sign up for the newsletter, all of the information will be uh, coming by announcements. I don't send out once-a-week newsletters or bombard people's inboxes by any means, but I do send out announcements about or new articles that come out or announcements about okay. the workshops. Okay, and the website again? A Adivinearchitecture.com. Adivinearchitecture.com, very good. So, Susan, we've got probably about five more minutes or so left in the show. Can we sum up for people who are in a position where there's just something they want to achieve and they've been holding themselves back and they're frustrated and just can't seem to get past that point, that tipping point, what steps would you recommend they take? I think absolutely the first thing that you need to do, and sometimes it's easier to have a visual, so even if they wanted to draw themselves a picture, they have to have a clear idea of what it is they they want. And it can be anything, you know, a a happier life. It could be more joy in their life, a better relationship, a new job. It it can be anything. But have a clear idea of what it is you're trying to achieve. Think about that. So get that picture in your head. Think about you owning your own business. And then as you're thinking about that, pay attention to the voices. The voices that say, oh, yeah, right. Who do you think you're kidding? You know, you're never going to be able to do that. You don't have the skills. You don't have the money. All of those, pay attention to those voices and write down those voices. Write down what those voices are are saying to you. Those are the blocks and the barriers. And once you can get those down on paper, then you can Mm -hmm. look at them and really start to work with what does that mean. Um, You know, I always get one that says, oh, yeah, right. Who do you think you're kidding? Right. uh, Yeah, that's my favorite voice. But when I look at that, who do you think you're kidding? There's a number of different things that come into play, none of them real and none of them from the present. And this is what you're going to find is that a lot of these are from years and years and years ago that I was raised, like I said, that people like us don't own their own businesses. I have no idea what people like us means, but that's what I was always told. And so when I look at that, I think, well, wait a minute. You know, that was like a really silly thing. Of course, people like me own their own businesses. And so you can start to, when you can write those voices down, you write those things down, you can start to dismantle them, see where Mm -hmm. they come from, and see how ridiculous they actually are, Mm -hmm. and then start to do some of those things that I said. Find proof why they're not true. You know, Mm -hmm. go to people you trust. Tell them your plans. Listen to them. I always say, particularly if we suffer from low self-esteem, we don't have an accurate view of who we are. We really don't have an accurate view of who we are. And I know I had to do this. I had to ask other people how they see me because we can never see ourselves as other people see us. So I asked other people and I started to believe them instead of believing me. Mm. 
And that's actually what helped me. Did you for a while, just a, a small period of time, feel like you were fooling yourself when you started to believe them instead of you? Oh, of course. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. There were those mm-hmm. moments, you know, those uh, hours that came up where I thought, you know, why am I even bothering? You know, this is ridiculous. And, mm-hmm. and then, of course, all the old excuses. You know, who cares anyway? There's not enough time. This is too hard work. But that was just my ingrained, my entrenched way of behaving, trying to keep me held back, if you will, trying to keep me in that mm-hmm. comfort zone, pushing mm-hmm. through the fear. And I'm glad you said this earlier. This isn't an overnight process by any means. Right. Pushing through the fear is, you know, it's constant effort. The only thing I can say is if my life is any proof at all, it's absolutely worth it. Mm-hmm. 25 years ago, I was living behind a dumpster out back of a laundromat because I was Ugh. homeless. Okay, so Susan, everybody who's listening, I think, because this is what I'm feeling, we want to know how happy you are today. I'm ecstatic. (laughs) We want to hear that you're having a wonderful, blissful life. (laughs) Are you kidding? Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding? Everything I never thought. You know, know they always say set goals. I have set goals. How ridiculous. I learned something about setting goals, too. The stuff, my life today, I would never have ever imagined. I have a I have two beautiful homes. When I don't like the the weather in one area of the country, I just go to the other one. (laughs) You know, I I mean, I know, but could I have it any better? I get to do my hobby every single day. I don't work. I just do my hobby. I go out and I help people. I talk to people. Pay me to talk to them. I help people. I do my hobby for a living. You want to talk about bliss? Huh. You know, I have the well, best life. And Marla, honestly, that's why I do this, because in my um, mind, everybody should have a life like mine. Everybody. And I'm not special. I don't have, you know, I, I wasn't rich. I didn't have a lot think, of money. I bought a book. We think you are special. We're at the end of our show. Thank you so much, Susan Armstrong. And join me next week for the tips and the downside and the upside and the ups and downs and everything of multi-level marketing network marketing with Mona Caldwell. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for being a part of the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka on the Her Insight Network on Toginet. If you've always known there was more out there for you, but you just weren't sure how to get